Body full of turkey? I won't call anybody a turkey. I'm sure you were full of turkeys, but uh, God bless you. So thankful to be in the house of the Lord. So thankful for Cornerstone Baptist Church. Uh, you're one of the faithful givers, again, of the Piedmont Baptist Association. You're so faithful, uh, again, to not only give, but participate and be involved. And uh, Dennis uh, Neely just recently was on our annual planning team for our annual meeting and just had a great meeting. I had one baptized, had one make profession of faith in Jesus Christ at an annual meeting. So that was exciting for sure. Uh, but so so thankful for his leadership, again, for our friendship with Dr. Bird for, for ever since he came here. Uh, again, we've been friends and so thankful for his ministry. But I'm just thankful again for your heart. Uh, that's a, a heart to bless and honor the Lord. Uh, you can sense that in a lot of ways, but again, those thousand shoeboxes, those uh, turkey meals, again, for people in need. Again, the singing of a song that we've just heard that just resonates our heart to be on mission with the Lord. I'm so grateful for you. And so thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your uh, shining uh, light here at Cornerstone for the glory of God to reach all people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. I want to talk about a message called a heart like Jesus. And that's the kind of heart that God wants every one of us to have is a heart like Jesus. So I want to begin with a simple question. What if for one day Jesus lives your life with his heart? For that day, he lives your life with his heart. Wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule. But there's one exception. Nothing changes. Your circumstances don't change. Your problems don't change. Your health doesn't change. Uh, again, all of that remains the same. But again, through that day, the question I want to ask is, would your actions be any different? Would your words be any different? Would your passions, what would they be like if Jesus lived your life with his heart? Would anybody receive more mercy than they've been receiving? Well, would anybody detect more joy in your life and heart again than, than they've detected in the past? Because again, would anything change? Because God's plan for every one of us is nothing short of a new heart. Let's go to scripture to see that over in Ephesians chapter four, verse again, 20. 3 and 24, uh, but back up just a moment, because as you become to the book of Ephesians, the church of Ephesus, uh, Paul reminds them and teaches them of all the blessings they have in Christ Jesus. Every blessing that's in Christ is, again, given to us as the church, and he reminds the church of Ephesus of that truth. And then as he tells them all the blessings that are theirs, he comes to chapter 4 and reminds them that because of all these blessings, this is how we're to live. And as he begins to tell how we live, you go over to verse, uh, again, 17, I believe it is. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do in fertility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart. But he says, this is how you're to live. You've learned Christ. And as you put on Christ, you put off the old. And as you put off the old nature, all things, the word of God says becomes new in Christ. And so he reminds them, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
He says the same thing to the church of Philippi over in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What he says there is make your attitude that of Jesus Christ. And so as you read the scripture, God wants you to have a heart like his. Now, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much that he refuses to leave you that way. And so he comes into your life again to radically transform your life and again to live his heart in you. And so we want to make sure we don't miss that. He loves us and he wants us to be just like Jesus. Now, the world can get confused, and if you follow the world, you can get confused also. Because the world thinks sometimes, well, if my faith were stronger, God would love me more. If my thoughts were deeper, God would love me more. And we confuse God's love with the love of people. If my performance increases, God's love increases. If my mistakes decrease, then God's love increases. But the wonderful news is, God loves you just like you are. And his love will never increase or decrease because he loves you with all the love that he has and it never ceases. And so if we're to have a heart like Jesus Christ, what was the heart of Jesus Christ like? So I want you to take a couple of notes with me this morning. The first thing I noticed about the heart of Jesus was that it was pure. Uh, Peter says he is a lamb that is unblemished and spotless, which means he was perfect. There was no sin. John, again, speaking of him, said, and in him is no sin. Now, there should be a hallelujah somewhere out here. Amen. Because, again, if there had been any imperfection in Jesus, we would not have that sacrifice. You would still be in your sins, dead and without hope, again, without Christ. But because he did live that perfect heart, that pure heart, again, that perfect life, that sinless life, again, we have that perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so we praise God for his pure heart. You also notice that the heart of Jesus Christ was peaceful. I remember the episode in Scripture where he's been teaching all day long, about 20,000 people. And you come to a moment again that he stops and turns to the disciples and says, hey, let's feed them. And the disciples panic because they don't have any money. And guess what? They don't have any food. And they finally look among the crowd and they come up with a sack lunch and they give it to Jesus. And they're fretful uh, again, wondering, what are we going to do? But Jesus is peaceful. Because all he has to do is lift it up again to the Father, and the Father blesses that and multiplies that, and everybody gets to eat, and they have food left over. I remember also in Scripture, again, they were on the boat, and a storm comes up, and they're fearful for their life. And where was Jesus Christ at? He was asleep in the bottom of the boat because he was totally at peace because he knew his father had, again, all the world in his hand and everything under control. And so he knew that he could trust, again, the father in that moment. Again, the disciples would abandon him. Uh, again, the Peter would deny him and curse him. They would crucify him. But what does he say as he hangs on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His heart was peaceful. You'll also know that his heart was purposeful. The scripture says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And from the moment of leaving again heaven's glory and coming to earth, he never again turned away from again that focus of his purpose. And that purpose was to rescue. That purpose was to forgive. That purpose was to save. That purpose was to go to the cross and die so that all of us again could come to hear the good news of the gospel and therefore be compelled by the spirit of God to come and believe. He saw beauty in lilies. 
He experienced joy in worship. He saw possibilities and problems. He lived among the sick and always had compassion after spending all day again healing people. He lived among us for three and a half years and saw enough muck and mire of our sin condition. And yet he still loved us because his heart was purposeful. He came to, res to rescue and redeem and to save us. Again, his heart also was a servant heart. What did he say? I didn't come to be served. I come to serve. And he says the greatest in the kingdom is who? Is he that is a servant. And if you're going to follow me, you must be again the least again to follow me, he says, to be great in the kingdom of God. And then what does he do? Again, when he was with the disciples in a closed room, he takes a towel and again a basin and he lives that out. He fleshes that out as he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And he shows you his servant heart that he's willing to do anything uh, again, just to care and love and provide again his blessings for you and me. His heart also was spiritual as you study the scriptures. He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He was led by the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. He came from the desert in the power of the Spirit. He took his instructions from God. He had a habit to pray and a habit to, to, to worship. He says, I can do nothing by myself. Only what the Father reveals to me. And yet as you watch that, he was able to come at the end of his life and simply say he always pleased the Father. Now, I don't know if that intrigues you or not, but that intrigues me because I, I, I have a hard time pleasing the Father. Hello? I fall so short of pleasing the Father and yet my Savior never one time in his life ever displeased the Father because again, he had a spiritual heart. Now, as I think of that, I run back through and I'm mindful of you and I. You see, the heart of Jesus was pure where many times we're greedy. The heart of Jesus was peaceful where many times we're hassled by the cares of life. He, he was purposeful where we're distracted. He was a servant where many times we want to be served. He was spiritual. If we're not careful, we'll be earthbound. And so, again, Jesus wants us to have a heart like him. Now, this is what Paul says. Paul says, if you're in Christ, Christ is where? In you. Uh, Paul also said, it's no longer I that lives, but it is Christ Jesus now that lives in me. And so if you've professed faith in Christ, if you've asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, then again, you have a heart. That is the heart of Jesus because he abides and lives in you. And that should radically transform how people see us and how we treat people and how we live out our life every single day. That reminds me of a story of years ago. Uh, there was a small town that didn't have any electricity. And the electrical company was coming through and they were putting up poles and hooking people up and giving power. And they, they came on the outskirts of this little town. There was a little lady, a little lady that lived there. And so they knocked on her door, told them what they were doing. They hooked up and again, everything went well and uh, they finished their work and were gone. About three months later, again, there was a knock on this little lady's door. And at that time, uh, she comes to the door and the gentleman says, well, I'm just checking for the electrical company to make sure everything's working good. And she says, well, everything's working great. He says, well, I just noticed that you're using so little electricity. I just wondered if something must be, might, might be wrong or not. And I also know it's working great. Says hey, every day when it gets ready to get dark, I cut the lights on just long enough to light the candles and then I just cut it back off. 
Now, she was connected to the power, but not altered by the power. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people in church that's connected by faith to Jesus, but not altered by that faith so that our life radically becomes his. And he comes, becomes truly Lord of our life so that we're on mission and our heart becomes the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the next few minutes, I want to set about the task of, of encouraging you to abide in Christ, to live your life for the audience of one who is God himself. And in order to do that, there are three things I want to write upon your heart. The first one is to be like Christ and have a heart like his, you must be filled with compassion. Because everywhere Jesus went, he was filled with compassion. Everywhere he saw people that needed a shepherd, people that were broken, people that were, uh, again, in disarray. And yet every time Jesus looked at anyone, again, there was a heart of compassion that he had to care and to love, again, every single person. I love Matthew chapter 8. There's a little story in the first three verses, the first four verses. And it goes like this. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, that's an interesting passage of scripture. One of the things that jumps out at me is he tells him after he heals him to tell nobody. And he told everybody and he tells us to tell everybody and we tell nobody. Shame on us. Amen. Yeah. But but I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like that, a whole lot is, again, left to imagination of how this leper's life went. Right. Uh, no doubt during the day, uh, again, sometime or another in his journey, he started feeling numbness and he started seeing sores. And one day he comes in and he's washing his hands, getting ready for dinner. And all of a sudden the water turns kind of pinkish red because, again, those sores are bleeding. And his wife steps beside of him and says, uh, do you want to go to the priest by yourself or do you want me to go with you? And I can imagine him saying, well, I'll just go by myself. He knows what the verdict's going to be. He has leprosy. It's going to be death by inches. It's going to be the most horrific uh, disease and experience that you could experience in that day. You see, what is common to us would no longer be common to him. Handshakes that we just experienced, a hug or a pat on the back. Again, he could not experience that ever again. He was going to be banished to a leper colony. Again, he was not going to be allowed in his house. He was not going to be allowed on the streets. He was not going to be allowed in the synagogue. Again, none of that. He was an ultimate outcast. He was going to be rejected by those he knew. He was going to be avoided by those who didn't know him. He was going to be to a condemned to a future that he could not bear. And all of a sudden, when he goes to that priest, the priest announces he has leprosy. He has to pull a bell around his neck and again ring everywhere he goes when he sees anyone unclean, unclean. So they would step back and not be near him. But I can imagine one day, it might not have happened like this, but this is my imagination. Again, he said, I wonder what it is like back home. Possibly he had a child and, and again a wife. And in that process, uh, he, he kind of decides risky to go and see what's going on there. And so he goes on the back road and he hides. Nobody can see him because he's not supposed to be in public anywhere. And he hides behind a tree when he gets to his house and there are kids out playing in the, in the yard. I can imagine that. And all of a sudden he, he's so excited and thrilled he steps out and they see the horror of him and they all yell and run. 
And he knows he's got to get back to the colony. But he turns back and there's one seems to be staying just a little bit longer in the yard than everyone else. And he wonders, is that my daughter or not? And I can imagine on his way back, as he's going back, uh, uh, all of a sudden there's a crowd of people and he can't get around them. He can't get away from them. And uh, Jesus is in that crowd. And, and, and as he gets close, he knows he's got to say unclean. And he, he wonders how Jesus is going to react. Is he going to panic like everybody else or not? Because he knew the horror of his disease was greater than anyone's concern for his soul. And so all of a sudden, he says, before I spoke, when I saw God's son, I knew he cared. I knew he hated this disease. My rage turned to trust, my anger to hope. I hollered unclean and, and, and I thought he would panic, but his compassion I had never beheld. I spoke. Uh, he spoke and I was thrilled. He prayed and I rejoiced. He spoke to me and said, be healed. And he touched me. And energy flooded my body. Warmth replaced my numbness. My back straightened. My head lifted. Unworthy of the touch of man. Don't miss this. But worthy of the touch of God. And God redeemed him. Made him whole. Made him well. Restored his life. Now Matthew 8, 3 is careful to mention that the pronouncement cured the disease. The condition. But again, his touch took care of the loneliness of his life. I heard several months ago a story that just has thrilled my heart ever since of a preacher's son that was five years old. And for some reason, he was just mesmerized with uh, the garbage truck. And so he would ever know he would know the time it was going to run every week and he would run out, sit on the steps. And again, when the garbage truck come by, he would just wave and he was so thrilled to see that garbage truck. And he was just so excited. He, he wouldn't miss. I mean, he was there. And, and eventually he found, he, he realized what his name was. His name was Bill. And he'd holler and wave, hey, Bill, hey, Bill. And Bill would throw up his hand and go on down the road to get to the next uh, house. And uh, it came to Christmas time. And the little boy went to his father and said, hey, I'd love to do something to give a gift to the garbage man for, for Christmas. And so dad said, well, I tell you what, let's think about it. And so they thought about it. So we make some cookies. And so they made some cookies and it was time for the garbage man to come. I said, you run out there. You wait for him. When you hear the truck coming, you run in and get us and we'll go out and meet him. And sure enough, that's what they did. Again, he heard the truck. He ran in. He was so excited. Dad, get the cookies. And they went out. And when they got out to the road, the garbage man thought something was wrong because dad usually didn't come out to the garbage truck. Right. What if I have I done something wrong? His old dad said, no, says my son is just mesmerized with you. And he is so thrilled when you come by that he wanted to give you a Christmas present. And so we baked you cookies. And what happened to that garbage man? He just started weeping. He said, nobody's ever done anything like that for me before. You cook cookies for your garbage man before. Probably don't even give it a thought, do you? Hello. Hello. I'm speaking to me, too. Hello. Yeah. And so the dad said, hey, I, I passed to the church down here. How about coming to worship with us? A little boy spoke up, says, hey, my choir is singing Sunday. And if you'll come hear me sing, I'll sit with you in church. And sure enough, he came and he sang and he sit with him in church, Bill and his wife. And uh, again, after the service, guess what that little boy did? He took him to every person in that church and said, I want to introduce you to my garbage man. His name is Bill. And he is the greatest garbage man in the whole wide world. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, Bill and his wife both committed their heart to Jesus Christ because of a little boy showing compassion and concern and care 
For someone, sometimes the world just overlooks. Yeah. You can't really have a heart like Jesus without having a heart full of compassion for all people. For all people. And so he wants us to have that heart. The second thing I want to write upon your heart is not only to have a God, in, uh, uh, to have a compassionate heart, but to have a God intoxicated heart. You see, it's one thing of working for God. It's a different thing in working with God. And he invites us to join him in what he's doing. Amen. It's one thing to check in and follow and then check out at the end of the day. But it's a whole different thing to check in and never check out. Lord, I'm yours and I'm following and whatever you have for me, I'm in here, always in the presence of the Lord. You see, I worship every single moment of every day as a response to the love of God. And I always pray for eyes for the church to be able to see and sense the great love that God has for every one of us. That we not miss that because it would change the way we worship if we had eyes really to see all the love of God he has for us. But there's some wonderful pictures in Scripture that he gives us to remind us of that God-intoxicated heart. One is the vine and the branch. You remember that in John 15? He says, I am the true vine, you're the branch, and you're to bear much fruit uh, for me. And so uh, I'm told, and I've just recently uh, trimmed back uh, my mother's grapevine, uh, you really can't tell where the vine stops and the branch begins. You notice it next time. It's all inter twined together. It's all one. And I've noticed that, again, if you really want a lot of grapes, this is what you do. You take and prune back the branches, and a good gardener will take those branches and keep them till next year. And he'll set them aside. And when it's time for grapes to come back, he'll take those branches and keep them back on that grapevine so they'll have grapes, right? Don't think so, hello? Because what's happened to those you've pruned? They're dead. They're lifeless, right? And when we become separated from him, again, we become lifeless. And so it's so important that we have that intimacy, that we have that oneness, that, 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 that the presence of God, that we're never away from him. Uh, another picture is the temple. Uh, you remember the dedication of Solomon's temple that he built and he dedicated to God and the spirit of God uh, filled that place. My, my question is, was he a visitor or was he a permanent resident? He was a permanent resident, just like he is in your life. When he comes in, he doesn't come in and leave. He comes in and stays forever. And we're never away from him. Another picture is we're the bride of Christ. Uh, marriage, uh, again, the bride of Christ. I am told that the longer you're married, the more you sound alike and, and talk alike and think alike. And my wife says, please don't add look alike. Amen. She does. But you know what? We've been married 46 years, going on 47, and we can complete each other's sentences. We can imagine what each other's thinking because, again, there's that oneness that comes through those times and those years together. And we take on each other's heart. And, and that's how it is with him. We take on his heart. Another picture is the shepherd and the sheep. David in Psalm 139 says, I'm an open book. God, you know everything that I'm thinking I, I, you know, when I leave and you know, when I get back, you know, when I that I've never out of your sight, you know what I'm going to say? I look behind and you're there. I look ahead that you're there. You, this is too wonderful. He says, I can't take it all in. A God intoxicated heart where you're always in the presence. You're one with him and he feels your every longing and over. Floods your life with his presence and love. 
The third thing and last thing I say to you is fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says. Fix your eyes, set your gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the wonderful news is the Bible says everyone that seeks does what? Finds. Everyone that seeks finds. One out of one. Isn't that wonderful news? That if you set your heart after him, you're going to find him. You're going to discover the riches of his great love and grace and mercy in your life. Paul said it this way for me, and I'm, I'm just, again, grasped by this. When he looks at his life in Philippians chapter 3, and then he talks about uh, all the accomplishments of his life, and then he says this, but I count everything of my life as what? Dumb. As loss. That I might win Jesus. He says, I've come to recognize the number one thing in my life is to know him. Paul was not the only one that said that. Moses said that at the end of his life. Hosea said that in his journey. David also said that. But I'm mindful that Paul says that especially for you and I, that we know him. How did Jesus say it? Jesus said it this way. This is eternal life. That you do many good things. This is eternal life that you go to church. This is eternal life that you be moral. That you work hard. That you understand the Bible. No, he didn't say any of that. This is what he said. This is eternal life that you know God. And so I say, set your gaze on him. Your eyes upon him. Look full in his wonderful face and experience again the wonderful heart that he has for you and the wonderful plans that he has for you. And I pray you don't miss him. I know I told Pleasant Garden Baptist Church, served them for 31 years many times over. I don't want to miss God. And I don't want to miss when God shows up and shows off. Amen? Amen. I want to have a front row seat of what God is doing. And so I close challenging you. Don't let somebody else worship for you. Don't let somebody else do your studying of the scripture and praying of the prayers of your heart to the Lord. You do it for you. You get involved. Now, after I preach twice, I'm going to be hungry. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to K&W because I like a spread. I, like, I can pick several things. And all of a sudden, as I go down that line, I see some country-style steak. Of course, I'm a preacher, so I want a piece of fried chicken, right? And so I get a piece of fried chicken, and, and then I come to the vegetable row, and I say, what in the world is that? And the lady on the other side says, you don't want to know. Now, she's got me intrigued right now. So I've got to know what in the world is that? Guess what she said? Pre-chewed food. Yuck! What in the world are you doing serving that? You know, they don't serve that anywhere, do they? The only place I know they serve that is where? Church. If you're not careful, that's all the food you'll get. 
And you'll miss having a healthy life spiritually. Because God wants you to be intimate with Him. To live for the audience of one. And to grow to have a heart just like His. Let's pray. Father, thank you.